Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Romans chapter 1 is a, a pretty powerful passage. Romans is a letter to the church. is an amazing, amazing letter. And one of the things that uh, we talk about Thanksgiving, we talk about w- w- how are we thanking God? What is it that God has for us? Why do we thank him? The fact that we should thank him, all those kind of things are absolutely true. I think it's interesting to see what Paul says about people who refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You catch that? They suppress it. And how do they do it? They do unrighteousness. They do deeds that are not according to God's standard of activity that is righteous. That's how they suppress the truth. And then he goes on and he clarifies this. He says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. Now that's incredible, folks. You meet somebody who says they're an atheist, that's baloney. What he's saying right here is God has made something evident within each and every individual. You have to convince yourself, choose to believe that there's not a God. And as a result of that, you will find that individual suppressing the truth in unrighteous activity. He goes on and he says, God's made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they, those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Did you catch it? For even though they knew God. Why? Because God's made something evident within each and every one of us. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. Thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. See, when we talk about thanksgiving, really the truth of the matter is, is how is it even possible that we're thankful? Do you realize that we're thankful We should be thankful. We ought to be giving thanks all the time. But it's specifically because God has made himself known to us. And as believers, we've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been saved. We've been forgiven of our sin. We've been rescued. We are now placed into the kingdom of heaven. We are now children of God. We've been rescued out of darkness into light. We are citizens of heaven. And God has given us a new heart. Do you realize that one of the absolute first witnesses, testimonies of an individual that has come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is thankfulness. Thankfulness. Why? Because God has given us a thankful heart. 
When we talk about Thanksgiving, we talk about these end times. We talk about where we're at. We're talking about where we are as a nation. We're talking about what God's going to do. Do you realize one of the reasons that he's coming back, one of the reasons that we're going to go through, not us as the church, but the tribulation, the world's going to go through the tribulation, is directly and specifically because people refuse to acknowledge that God is worthy of honor, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the only means of salvation, and because they refuse to give God Thanks. Thanks. That's incredible. So several things this morning, and (laughs) I'm telling you, I was thinking about this, and I thought, boy, it's Thanksgiving, and this message, this topic, if you will, these things that we're going to look at are kind of heavy. And it's a little hard to walk through it and go, boy, I've got a, I feel like I've, I've, you know, got a, a heart that's been lifted high today. Right? It's a little hard because you look at what the world's going to go through and you look at the judgments of God, you look at the wrath of God. What does he say in verse 18? The wrath of God is being revealed. Why? Because people refuse to acknowledge that he's worthy of honor and to give him thanks. And we look around and we got to look at our own lives first, right? Amen? What is it that God has given to us and done for us that we're thankful for? We sing it all the time, but it ought not be just here that we do so. It ought to be in everything that we do, in everything that happens in our lives, no matter what it may be, even when we fall into various trials. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, what? Rejoice. So that means even if you're going through a difficult time, even when things don't go the way you think they ought to go, even when it's bad, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose. So we know that everything that's happening in our lives has been filtered through his hands first. And as a result, we are told to give him, to pray to him all and give him all of our requests, but to do so how? With thanks. Giving. Why? Because God's at work all around us. God is at work in us. God is desiring to conform us to his image. And we can trust him. We can trust him. Amen. Give him praise. We've looked at the first three and a half years, right? Rapture of the church takes place. The man of lawlessness is revealed. At that particular point, we know that the covenant is going to be signed, either signed, created, or affirmed. There's going to be a covenant with Israel by the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. And at that point, we see in chapters 4 and 5 the unveiling of the seals, the Lamb of God being worthy to break those seals. We see the seven seals being contained or containing the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. The seven trumpets are accomplished up to the point of the middle of the week, Daniel's 70th week, which is a seven-year period of time, which is what we would call the tribulation. If you look at the the chart, we've got a seven-year period of time. We call it the tribulation, dead square in the middle of that. The three and a half years is the abomination of desolation. Daniel talks about it. Uh, Matthew, the Lord, talks about it. And that last three and a half years is called the great tribulation. My goodness. It's sobering, to say the least. God's final judgment reveals unbelief and an unwillingness to repent by individuals on this earth. Boy, friends, how important is it that we're walking with the Lord day by day, saying yes to him, vessels through which God's life is being revealed, poured through, 
So whether it's somebody down at Albuquerque Rescue Mission that we shake their hands, we look deep into their eyes and we say, we love you, but we want you to know even more importantly that God loves you. That's the issue here, folks. When we have people come here, and we have a lot of them, I talked to a guy this week. Family's out of job. They're trying to get a job at a, at a local uh, store. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know how to get fa- food for his family. When we're able to talk to people like that and we're able to share with them uh, some of the things that we've been blessed with because Christians always have something to share, always, at that particular moment, we're able to tell them with deep reverence and respect that they matter to God and that God loves them. Folks, that's the season. We are thankful because of what Christ has done for us because he came to this earth and went to the cross, shed his blood so that we could have life. How do we enter into that? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise that is attached to that is unequivocal. It is not based on our works prior to, during, or after our confession or our reception of Christ Jesus himself. It is based on the word of God. And it is simply this. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God promises, I will save you. Period. Beautiful. That's the issue here, folks. That's the hope. That's what we have in Christ. And when all things seem like they're falling apart around us, We have the privilege of sharing that we have one who's in charge. And it may look like it's fallen apart, but the truth of the matter is, is God's bringing it all together. Praise God for that. Three things this morning, and we're going to run through this so fast that if you're not listening close, get my notes or something. I don't know, you know. (laughs) Because <laughs> it's a lot. You know, next year we're going we're gonna to look at Revelation. I'll, I'll spiral down into this a little bit more carefully. We're kind of doing this as a 30,000-foot view issue. The three things, the Antichrist, the false Christ, or the one who comes against Christ, if you want to think of it that way. The abomination of desolation takes place right in the middle of the three and a half years. And then the seven bowls, God's final wrath poured out the judgment of un. Belief And literally, you could say the judgment of a lack of gratitude, a lack of gratitude. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to just give you this. If you've got uh, your Bible, turn there. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. There's a whole lot here said about the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Paul writes... He says, we request, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. This period of time, this tribulation period hasn't come yet. He says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. The day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And then he gives this list about who this individual is, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. There's a whole bunch of this in here. and Let me just give you a list. The lawless lawless one will not be revealed until the apostasy takes place in verse 3. Now, there's been a lot of question about that. I believe uh, Dr. Andy Wood spoke about this a couple weeks ago and, and indicated that the word apostasy literally can mean standing away from. And in this particular passage, in this particular context, rather than it being a falling away doctrinally, it is actually referring to the rapture of the church, which fits well within this particular passage, this context, and the reason why Paul is writing what he's writing. In other words, the lawless one will not be revealed until the church is raptured, until the church stands away from earth, if you want to think of it that way. He's called the man of lawlessness. Folks, what do we see happening today? It's amazing, isn't it? I don't know, if I were the president of a college that set up a care room that had coloring books and crayons and Play-Doh so that our students could feel better, I think I'd be mortified and embarrassed beyond description. I wouldn't want to show my face in public. But that's what we see. The puppies, maybe. Maybe the puppies. Maybe, maybe the puppy. German Shepherd little puppies are great. And Maltese. We got a little Maltese. They're good. They're good. Maybe that should help. Maybe they ought to do that. But Play-Doh? Lawlessness. It's okay to go and rip apart people's businesses, bust up their cars, because you're just angry. That's protest. No, it's called lawlessness. It's called sin. And it reflects the Antichrist. He's called the son of destruction in verse 3. He opposes in verse 4. He exalts himself above every other god, an object of worship in verse 4. He takes his seat in the temple. This is the abomination of desolation at the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year period of time that three and a half years have gone by. There's been peace. There's been a covenant with Israel that was supposed to be for seven years, and he breaks it by going into the temple, setting himself up as the one to be worshiped. It's an abomination. He will be revealed when the restrainer is taken out of the way. Verse 7, that's the Holy Spirit. Who does the Holy Spirit dwell within right now? Us. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit is taken out. The church is taken out, raptured. And as a result, the restrainer is removed and the lawless one will be revealed. The covenant will be bought into in that sense. And all these events begin to take place. The Lord will slay him by the breath of his mouth when he returns in verse 8. Boy, what a great promise that is, isn't it? The lawless one is in accord with the activity of Satan. Satan obviously empowers him. Verse 9, having power and signs of false wonders. In verse 9, he deceives those who perish as they did not receive the love of the truth. Verse 10. What do we know about Satan? He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And he tells false things. The Antichrist 
is his servant, and he will do many, many difficult and devastating things on this earth. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, we're given a picture of the Antichrist. It says, I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The idea of the white horse, the bow with no arrow, uh, suggests that he will take over peaceably. He will do so by his winsomeness, his personality, his performance. In Revelation 13, we have the description of uh, the beast. And there's two different beasts. The first is the Antichrist. We learn in verse 3 of chapter 13 of Revelation that he's mortally wounded and he's healed. And as a result of this, people begin to worship him. People begin to honor him. The whole earth follows this beast in verse 3. Worships Satan, the dragon, along with the beast in verse 4. They blaspheme God in verses 5 and 6. The Antichrist is satanic. He comes doing wonders. He's mortally wounded and he's healed and the whole world begins to worship him. In Revelation 13, 11 and following the false prophet, the second beast rises and makes all to worship the first beast and or the Antichrist. Can you imagine? Thank God we're going to be raptured out of that. Warren Wiersbe says this, the Greek prefix anti, the Antichrist, anti, has two meanings, against and instead of. Satan not only opposes Christ, but he wants to be worshipped and obeyed instead of Christ. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped and served as God. He will one day produce his masterpiece, the Antichrist, who will cause the world to worship Satan and believe Satan's lies. Wow. Indescribable period of time on this earth. The hardness of heart. Over and over and over again, we see in Scripture that God does all these things, not just to get people, but in order to bring them to their senses so that they would repent, they would change their minds about the fact that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, is the only way for salvation to take place, for forgiveness to be received, for restoration to be accomplished. The abomination of desolation is the Antichrist's specialty, if you want to think of it that way. There's the 70th year, uh, week of Daniel, the seven-year period of time, dead square in the middle of it, is what we have as the abomination of desolation, the desecration of the temple. In Daniel 9, 27, Daniel's told he will make a firm covenant. He's uh, being told about the Antichrist. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's the seven-year period of time. That's the 70th week of Daniel, but in the middle of the week he will stop sacrifices and grain offerings, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Daniel eleven thirty one. This is said of the Antichrist. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. What does that look like? Well, in Matthew 24, verses 15 and following, the Lord says this, When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray... 
that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Folks, we talk about the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year period of time, the first three and a half years where the seals are open, the seventh seal opens, and the trumpets then begin to be accomplished. And we get to the very middle where we have Daniel's uh, prophecy about the abomination of desolation, the three and a half year period of time where the Antichrist will literally go into the temple, set himself up as God in order to be worshipped by the whole world. And at that moment, we begin the three-and-a-half-year period of time at the end of Daniel's 70th week called the Great Tribulation. It's interesting. I don't know if some of you have been confused about that, this uh, particular issue. In Matthew, when the Lord speaks of this, he's talking about the tribulation. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin with talking about uh, the prophecy about the temple where all the stones are going uh, to be removed. And we know that that took place in 70 A.D. when Titus with the Roman army came, surrounded uh, Jerusalem, and literally destroyed the temple. However, it's interesting because in Matthew, he goes from that discussion, he goes to uh, the Mount of Olives, and he begins to tell them about Daniel's 70th week. Whereas in Luke, he continues to talk and describe what's going to happen in terms of 70 A.D., and Titus. So don't get that confused. Kind of an interesting point. I would, I would look at that carefully and read through that. It's really an interesting moment. Matthew and Mark both begin to share about Daniel's 70th week, whereas Luke continues to talk about the Roman army. And in fact, in Daniel, if you remember, uh, it was prophesied that one who is of the people of the prince will come and destroy Jerusalem. And he's talking about, in Daniel, the prophecy, he's talking about the Antichrist being the prince, but Titus, the Roman general, along with the Roman army coming in 70 AD as being one of those who are in accord with the prince, the Antichrist. Folks, it's amazing prophecy. It's amazing. Do we really believe it? Do we understand these things have not yet taken place? Some people want to say the millennium, we're already in the millennium. I haven't seen a lion laying down with a lamb yet. I believe that's literal. I, I think you could go to Christians all over this world who are being persecuted or being killed and ask them whether they think this is the millennium. Well, folks, the millennium is yet to come. This week is yet to come. It is for Israel and it is putting down unbelief. It is for the winning back of Israel to the Lord so that they will believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And it is also for the judgment of God's wrath upon unbelief on this world. It is yet to happen. And it will happen. The Grace New Testament commentary puts it this way about the abomination. It says, the abomination of desolation refers to the Antichrist's causing the Jewish sacrifices to cease by setting up an image of the beast to be worshipped in a future rebuilt temple that takes place probably in the first three and a half years when there's peace. Well, what happens in the last three and a half years? Wow. The great tribulation. The seven bowls of God's wrath are poured out upon this earth. Revelation 15.1 
says this, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Amazing statement. Some people want to say that the seals or the trumpets aren't really the wrath of God, and I beg to differ. One of the reasons is right here in this verse. That the seven bowls being poured out on this earth, the seven plagues, are the final aspect of God's wrath. He's already started it. It's increased in temperature, if you want to think of it that way. Revelation 15, 7, it says, One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And they begin to pour out the bowls of wrath. Revelation 16, six bowls of wrath are detailed. The first is malignant sores on those who had the mark of the beast in verse 2. The second bowl is the sea became blood and all life in the sea dies. You can see that in verse 3. The third is that all the rivers and springs of water become blood. Verse 4, and we're given a reason for that. It's because of the, the killing of the saints and the prophets, because of the shedding of the blood of God's people. The fourth is the sun scorches mankind in verse 8. Uh, it's so severe in uh, Revelation 16, 9 that a comment is made. Men were scorched with fierce heat. They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And listen to this. They did not repent so as to give him glory. They did not repent. The word repentance simply means they didn't change their minds. They're looking at the circumstance. They know this wrath is from God. Earlier on, it says that the wrath of the Lamb is being poured out, and they actually asked for the mountains to come down on them so that they would die because they knew that the fierce wrath of the Lamb was coming upon them, but they refused to repent. They refused to change their minds, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone is worthy of worship. And instead, like he says in Romans chapter 1, what do they do? They exchange worship of the creator for the creature. They begin to worship things like gold and iron and, and idols that cannot hear, cannot speak, cannot do anything. They would rather worship that than God, the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we're seeing that in our day to day. The hardness of heart. Unwillingness to believe. And yet what does Paul say in Romans chapter 1? God has made it evident to us. God has placed it within us that he exists, that he's powerful, that he's created all things. Folks, when we begin to understand that and begin to understand that God is real, that God loves us, that God is a caring, loving God. God will begin to lead us toward the reality, the truth of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. People ask me all the time, all the time, probably ask you too, what about that kid way out in China or deep dark Africa or somewhere in the Amazon that never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Right? Use that as an excuse. Well, surely your God can't be all that there is. There's got to be other ways to get to him. And we say, no, the Bible's true. Let God be called true and every man a liar. 
And we understand that when people begin to respond to the light that they're given and they begin to believe in what God has already revealed and made evident not only within them, but through creation, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will parachute a missionary into that individual's backyard, their hut, their jungle, I don't care where it is, in order to share with them the good news of the gospel of God's grace and that salvation is in Christ Jesus alone. Amen. God's a big God. He can do that. They did not repent so as to give him glory. That word glory means simply to honor him for who he truly is. The fifth is that darkness comes along with sores, and it's again stated that they continue to refuse to repent in verse 10 and 11. The sixth is that the river Euphrates is dried up so that the kings of the east can advance and see here we now see that the bowls of the wrath of God are being poured out and the earth is being prepared for the final battle the final series of battles Armageddon the seventh bowl is poured out huge hailstones an earthquake that this earth has never experienced before Jerusalem is split into three parts the cities of the nations are destroyed and Babylon experiences the wrath of God. My goodness. Folks, we have a lot to be thankful for. We really do, don't we? When you begin to think about what God's done for us, and you think about the love of the Lamb, and how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Think about what we have to be thankful for. Think about the people around us. The question is, how are we making ourselves available to the Lord, simply yielding to him, saying, Lord, here we are. Use us in whatever way you choose. We are vessels through which we desire to see, not only experience your glory, but that your glory may be revealed in and through us. How are we availing ourselves to the Lord so that Christ in and through us can be revealed, made manifest to those who have no hope, who are destined for wrath? I think it's neat the way the Grace New Testament commentary put this. That seventh and final bowl is poured out, fulfilling all the seals and the trumpets and now the bowls. It says, the moment in history has arrived for the judge of all the earth to finish the outpouring of his wrath on mankind and initiate the final stage of his return to earth. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Folks, I wonder, how, how big, how significant, how sovereign, how capable do you believe God to be? You, you, what is it that's tripping you up? What is it that's causing you to get off track? What is it that's causing you to get frustrated? Oh, don't we have all that kind of stuff? Right? We get flat tires and we get behind a slow driver and we're off the charts. Right? Our food, our food doesn't get to us as quickly as we thought it should be, and maybe it wasn't exactly prepared the way we wanted, and we're all out of sorts. I mean, we paid for it. It's our rights, right? Well, let me ask you something. What's the primary purpose that each and every one of us has? I believe it's to bring glory to God. 
And as we say yes to the Lord, God begins to transform us. He begins to renew our minds through the word of God. He begins to teach us his thoughts. And we begin to align our lives with him, surrender and yield to him, learn to die to self and walk in the the sufficiency of who he is. And as a result of that, God's love begins to pour through us. The fruit of the spirit becomes evident. And we have peace and we have joy and patience and kindness and all the rest that goes along with who Christ is because Christ himself literally begins to be seen through our lives. And you know what? People at that point look at us and they go, wow, there's something different about you. And what does Peter tell us? Be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. This hope, this absolute assurance that I'm not destined for wrath, that God's love is sufficient, that he loves me unconditionally, that I'm a child of God not because of anything that I have done, am doing, or could do, but because of God's amazing grace. Folks, how are we walking with the Lord in these days? Second Timothy, Paul says this in writing to Timothy in chapter 3. He says, realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. What a list. What a list. How are we walking with the Lord so that God is being made manifest through us, so that his love is being revealed through our lives, through our actions, our activities? How are we walking with him, saying yes to him in every detail of our lives, no matter what it may be, in our families, in our communities, in our church, fellowship, in our nation? How are we walking with the Lord So that when people who don't have hope, they don't recognize, they don't know God, they begin to watch us as a community of believers, a family of faith. They begin to watch how we interact with one another, we relate to one another, we worship the Lord, and they begin to realize there's something unique, there's something different. And then they begin to ask, what's this hope that you've got? Because we recognize that what you're saying and how you're living match up. And that Jesus really must have come in order to save. Because we see that your life is being transformed. And I want to know more about your Lord. And boy, what an honor and privilege it is to be able to express that. Amen? To be able to say, no, no, what you, what you see in me isn't me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And it's because of God's grace. And let me share with you how you too can be changed and transformed by our Lord. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.